Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our series, which we've been in through the month of December, called A Church Alive. Now, I know some of you are visiting us this morning, and uh, you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, but we've had some transition here at Lakes Free. Uh, we recently uh, transitioned from Pastor Rick Stanghelly as our senior pastor for the past 32 years to myself taking over as the new senior pastor here. And uh, as part of that transition, I wanted to uh, share with you over the course of a few weeks some of my vision for what I think uh, we need to keep as our priorities as a church if we want to continue to see God use this place not only for the past 32 years but for another 32 years and beyond. Uh, God has done some incredible things here at Lakes Free, and, and I really believe that some of our best days are still ahead of us. But for us to see that happen, we need to continue to make sure that we keep our priorities in order as a church. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've been doing a series called A Church Alive, and we've been focusing on three key priorities that I think are going to be essential for us as a church to embrace. Number one, to be a church alive, we need to be a church that is grounded in truth. A church that is grounded in truth. In other words, our, our foundation needs to be rooted firmly in the truths of God's word. If, if we ever move away from that, we're going to quickly move from a living, thriving, vibrant church to a dying and decaying church. God's word has to remain our foundation. And so that's been my commitment to you as your pastor, and I've invited you to join me in that commitment as, our, as a church. We're going to keep God's word as the solid foundation upon which we stand. But not only that, we're going to continue to be a church alive by growing in grace. And what I mean by that, if you were with us last week, we talked about the importance that, that each of us seeks to pursue Jesus and grow in our relationship with Jesus, grow more and more in conformity with the likeness of Jesus Christ so that, so that our lives begin to represent Jesus to the world around us. When, when people see God doing his work in our lives, they more and more see uh, Christ represented through, through how we live and act and talk. And so that's our priority for us as a church. We're going to be a church that continues to grow, grow in the grace of Christ, grow in conformity with the likeness of Christ. And now today, I want to look at the third priority for us as we continue to seek to be a church that's alive, a church that's living, vibrant, thriving. And a church alive has to be a church that goes in faith. Lakes Free, we're going to be a church that is going in faith. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I've shared some words of warning, uh, warnings as to how living, vibrant, thriving churches can go and turn into decaying and dying churches. And, and we've talked about, you know, replacing the word of God with, 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 uh, with anything else, losing that foundation. We talked about last week, taking our eyes off of God's grace and embracing a works righteousness. All of those kinds of things can move us from a living church alive to quickly being a church that is dead. And in the same way, I, I want to share a word of warning for us today when it, co when it comes to being a church that is going in faith. And, and here's the word of warning. An alive church can quickly become a dead church when we forget why we exist, when we lose sight of the ultimate priority for which we exist as a church. And I've seen churches do this over the years. Churches misplace their priorities. They lose sight of their vision for why they were called to be a church in the first place. Uh, many churches take on the mindset that they are nothing more than a social club. 
And so we're going to create a nice, warm, friendly place for Christians to get together, and we're going to hang out with our Christian friends and sort of insulate ourselves from the world around us. And, and we're just going to kind of have, you know, a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling on Sunday mornings, and, and, and that's what church is all about. But friends, that's not what church is all about. Church is more than just a social club. Some people have embraced the view that, that church is to be like an entertainment complex, you know, and I, I go there to get my needs met. I go there to feel excited and feel, you know, uh, feel uh, com- f- compelled on a Sunday morning. I want to I have vibrant worship. I want to experience the, the movement of the Spirit. I want to hear a good message. That preacher better be good or I'm out of here. And, and so I'm coming to church to get my needs met, and it's all about what you can do to entertain me. Now, now, here's the deal, friends. Of course, we want all of those things to happen, right? I mean, we want to have vibrant, passionate worship. You know, I certainly want to have a message that's compelling and inspiring. But I'm going to tell you something. We are not here to entertain you, okay? That's, that's not why we exist as a church. We have greater priorities than that, all right? Not only that, but we don't exist as a welfare organization or a social justice advocacy group, advocacy group. All right. Now, now, of course, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to serve the least of these in our community, in our world. We do that as a church. We're going to continue to do that as a church. But that is not our priority. Okay? That's not why we exist. Why do we exist as a church? Well, Pastor Rick was fond of saying this. I've said this over the years. The reason we exist as a church is simply this. Friends, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's why we exist as a church. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? Friends, the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the advancement of the gospel into our world. That's why we exist, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a God who created you, a God who loves you, a God who wanted a relationship with you so badly that he was willing to take the form of a human being to come into this world, to show himself to us, to show us what he was like, to die on a cross on behalf of our sins so that we could come into new life with him. That's the good news that we proclaim in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, we have the commission to proclaim the gospel, to declare the gospel, to take the gospel and advance it into all areas of the world. That's why we exist. We exist to go in faith. That's what our mission is, church. We exist to go in faith. In fact, Lakes Free Church's mission statement, going back 32 years, friends, our mission statement is to glorify God by making healthy, multiplying disciples who will work together to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Okay, understand that. This is our agenda as a church. We're not here for any other reason than this. Okay, we're here to build you up, to encourage you in your faith, to equip you in your faith so that you can go out into the world and live as ambassadors of Jesus and point others to the hope that we have in the gospel. This is the only reason why we're here, friends. If you're here for any other agenda than to join us in this mission, you've come to the wrong church. Or maybe you voted in the wrong senior pastor. But one way or another, this is what we're all about. Okay? This is what we're all about. This is our mission. Now, here's the thing. This isn't a revolutionary idea. All right? This is what the church has always been called to. Look at what Jesus said in his last words to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, this has always been our calling to share the gospel, to make disciples, to equip those disciples to then go out and make more disciples by sharing the gospel. I mean, that's what the church is all about. And that's how we're going to ensure that Lakes Free continues to be a living, vibrant, thriving, healthy church alive. It's by keeping our priorities in the right place and having a focus on the gospel. We are a church that exists to go in faith. Now, here's the question. We know this is the case. We know this is our calling. We know this is what Jesus wants us to do. But why is it that so many Christians find themselves struggling to embrace the mission of going in faith? You know what I'm saying? I think if we were to pull all of the Christians in this room this morning, we would all say, like, yeah, the gospel's important. Sharing our faith is important. But, but here's the deal. I know, because it's true for me too at times, that sometimes it's hard for me to make that commitment to go out and live this out consistently in my life to share the gospel with my family and my neighbors and my coworkers, all right? So, so why is it that we have these reluctancies, these hesitancies? Well, well I think there are, there are a number of excuses, if you will, that, that we tend to hold on to that keep us from going in faith and, and living out the gospel consistently in our lives. As I was thinking about this this, uh, this past week, I, I, I thought of three primary reasons why I think a lot of Christians fail to embrace the mission of living and going in faith. And I think, number one, I think some Christians just don't think they have anything special to offer. You know, I think a lot of Christians would say, yeah, well, you know, I'm all for the gospel, and sure, I, I hope people are reached with the good news of Jesus, but, but, but what role can I play in that? I mean, I mean look at me, I, I'm just some ordinary dude. What do, what do I have to offer in service of the kingdom of God? And so I think a lot of Christians just kind of go through life feeling like sort of defeated because they don't feel like they have any special contribution that they can make to the mission of the gospel. And how sad that is, friends, how tragic that is. We're going to talk about that this morning because we all have a role to play. I think there are other Christians who don't see their investment of being of much significance. I was talking to a guy recently who uh, has been attending church off and on throughout his life. And I was asking him, you know, have you ever volunteered? Have you ever plugged in to serve anywhere? You know, I found that oftentimes my greatest periods of growth as a Christian happen in the context of serving and, and giving of myself on, on behalf of the cause of the mission. And, and he said, well, you know, I, I don't really do much in, in, in the area of serving. And I said, really? You're, you're really missing out. And he said, well, you know, I, I tried, I, I was a Sunday school teacher a few years ago. And I, and I worked with the second grade students and, and, you know, I just felt like I wasn't really making that much of an impact. You know, it was like week in and week out, Sunday after Sunday. And I just really didn't see my investment in those kids bearing much fruit. And so I just decided not to do it anymore. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are just like that. Maybe some of you, you wonder, is my investment, is my time, is my energy, is my commitment making any difference whatsoever? And sadly, sometimes people just give up. I, I, I think there are other Christians out there who see the obstacles and challenges to living on mission for Jesus as just being too big, too great, too challenging. You know, they think about things like, well, you know, I, I would really love to see my neighbor come to faith in Jesus, but Jason, if you realized how godless and pagan that guy is, there's no way he would ever come to faith in Jesus. And so we just don't even make the effort because the challenge just seems too big. 
And I know some people think, well, you know, Jason, I, I know I'm called to be an ambassador in my workplace, but, but you know what? If I started, like, talking about Jesus at work, people would think I was crazy. I mean, my manager might, like, kick me out of my job or something. And so the fear of the giants and the challenges and the obstacles ends up overwhelming us and defeating us, and, and then we never actually go out and live for Jesus because the challenges look too big. But here's the thing, friends. This morning, I want to respond to each of these challenges by giving you some words of encouragement. I want to share with you this morning three stories from Scripture, and each of these stories conveys a principle that I think is literally life-transforming. I'm telling you, friends, if you'll listen to what I have to share with you this morning, uh, this could literally change your life. And I'm not even exaggerating. If you can hear these three principles and embrace them and then put them into practice, it could literally change your life and your experience as a Christian. And so, so we're going to look at these passages together this morning. We're going to look at these three principles this morning. Three principles for confidently going in faith. And principle number one is simply this. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Let me read the passage from you from John chapter 6. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. John chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 3. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Lord, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, well, well, here's this little boy who's come forward. He's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. What an incredible miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I want you to think about the difference in the perspective of the disciples from this little boy in the story, Right? Right? Jesus says, look at this crowd. Where are we going to feed? How are we going to feed all these people? Well, one of the disciples says, Jesus, it's gonna, it would take eight months' wages to come up with enough just to give everybody a bite. Another one of the disciples says, well, Jesus, you know, here's this little boy who's come forward. He's got five loaves of bread and two small fish. But, but Jesus, surely that's not going to be enough to feed everybody. And so the disciples, they're looking at the problem in front of them, and they're saying, there's no way we're going to be able to address the need here. But this little boy shows up on the scene, and instead of looking at the problem, he looks at the possibility. And he says, yeah, five loaves, two, smith, two fish. All we got is five loaves and two fish. No, all we've got is Jesus. We've got Jesus here, friends. All right? Look it. Jesus can do anything he wants. It's not about the problem. It's about what's possible when Jesus takes our offering and does the miraculous with it. See, the disciples' perspective was totally skewed. They were focused on the problem, not on the possibilities. They had Jesus on their side. But they had lost sight of that. Here's the, here's the point, friends. 
The question today isn't, what do I have to offer Jesus? The question you need to ask is, what can Jesus do with what I have to offer? Let me say that again. The question isn't, what do I have to offer Jesus? The question is, what can Jesus do with what I have to offer? You see the difference here, friends? One says, I have to have something worthwhile to give. The other says, give what you have, and Jesus will make it worthwhile. My grandpa, Harold Carlson, was one of the greatest preachers of his generation. He was the founding pastor of Calvary Baptist Church here in Roseville. He served at uh, founding pastor of Lakewood, First Baptist Church, Lakewood, California, which at the time in the 1950s was the fastest growing church in America. Time Magazine even did a story on his church one time. Served up in Walnut Creek, California at Fair Oaks Baptist Church. Came back here in the 1970s. Served at Grace Church in Edina for 10 years. Now Grace Church in Eden Prairie. He was a great preacher. In fact, uh, Robert Schuler of the famous Crystal Cathedral in Anaheim, California, he used to tell his seminary students, if you want to learn how to preach, go listen to Harold Carlson. But I'll tell you something, friends. You would have never known my father was going to become a great preacher, or my grandfather was going to become this great preacher if you knew him when he was a little boy or when he was in high school, or when he was in college. Because my grandpa, growing up, had a terrible stuttering problem. And he could barely get, 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 get through a sentence without st- st- stammering over his words. But when he was in college, he felt the Lord call him into ministry. And he heard Jesus say, Harold, I'm going to turn you into a great preacher. My grandpa questioned the Lord's call. Lord, how, how, how are you going to use me? How are you going to use, use a guy who can't even speak to be a, a preacher? But my grandpa stepped out in faith and obedience, and he followed the call on his life. He enrolled in Bethel Seminary, and when he married my grandma, he would go to school during the day. He would come home at night, and after work, my grandma would work through vocal drills with my grandpa, teaching him how to speak. And God miraculously cured my grandfather's stutter. And as I said, he became one of the greatest preachers of his generation. All because of God's miraculous work in his life. You know, you might be thinking this morning, well, Jason, yeah, sure, you know, God does the extraordinary through the ordinary, but, but, but what could God do with my ordinary gift, Jason? I mean, yeah, your grandpa was a pastor. I mean, you know. But, but what could God do with my ordinary gift? I don't know the answer to that, friends. But I'll tell you who does. God does. Verse 6 of John chapter 6. Remember, Jesus asked his disciples, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? What does John tell us? He only asked that because he already knew what he had in mind to do. Friends, God already has in mind what he's going to do through your ordinary gift. The question is, will you step out in faith and use it? Will you step out in obedience and believe that God can do miraculous things through what you have to offer? Principle number two this morning. You might be the means for God's miracle. Friends, if you understand this principle, this this could literally change your life, and I'm not even kidding. You might be the means for God's miracle. Let me read for you Quick story from John chapter 2, the, the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. 
On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They don't have any more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim and take it to the, now draw some out of the, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Friends, let me ask you a question. Does Jesus have the power to turn water into wine? Absolutely. Could Jesus have snapped his fingers and turned that water into wine instantaneously? Absolutely he could have. So the question is, why did Jesus bring the servants into this miracle? And the answer, friends, is because the miracle was in the means. The miracle was in the means. You see, one of God's greatest gifts of grace is the fact that he often invites us to be a part of his miracles. And you see, the miracle at the wedding in Cana was as much about the servants as it was about turning the water into wine. You know, when you think about that, do you think the servants might have wondered what they were doing? You know, Jesus is like, hey, you see those six 30-gallon pots over there? Go fill them up with water. What? We don't need water. We need wine, Jesus. That's not going to do us any good. And, and, and by the way, do you know what, what, what you're asking us to do? Like, they didn't have a little spigot they could turn on to fill those pots. They had a well. And so, like, they would have to go to the well and drop the one-gallon bucket down the well about 30 times, haul it up, fill the pot, and do that over and over and over again for about two, three hours to fill six 30-gallon stone pots of water. And we don't need water. We need wine. What, what are we doing out here? It's hot out here. They're in there partying. We're out here at this well getting water. What is that going to do? And then so they go get the water. And then Jesus says, now go give some of it to the master. Are you kidding me? Go give him water? What? He's going to fire us on the spot. We don't need water. Can you, I mean, can you imagine what they must have been thinking? But let me ask you another question. Do you think those servants ever forgot that day? You think they ever forgot what they experienced when they saw the miracle that took place through their ordinary, routine, mundane task of drawing water at the well and seeing Jesus turn it into wine? I bet they never forgot what they experienced. See, please understand this, friends. Jesus does some of his best miracles through the seemingly mundane and routine means of faithful people willing to step out in faith and obedience. When I was a sophomore in college, I was in a spiritually dark place. I, I grew up a Christian. I was a, I was a believer, but my freshman and sophomore year of college, I just kind of walked away from the Lord. I, I was one of those guys I talked about last week who believed in Jesus but was living ineffective and unproductive in my faith. And I just had misplaced my priorities. I had taken my eyes off of Jesus. I was living for myself and my own desires and my own whims and interests and I had stopped going to church, I had stopped going to chapel, I had stopped 
caring about my faith altogether. And I was just stagnating as a Christian. But in January of my sophomore year in college, 1996, one of my college buddies, a guy named Ryan Wegeman, invited me to join him on a retreat with Wooddale Church's junior high group. He said, Jason, we need some extra adult volunteers to chaperone this retreat. Would you be willing to come and just help us just come serve as a chaperone? Friends, I'll tell you, at that point in my life, that was about the last thing I had any interest in doing, hanging out on a church retreat with a bunch of junior high kids. But my friend Ryan just kept saying, come on, Jason, you'll have a good time. Come join us. And I'll tell you something, friends. God used the faithfulness of my friend encouraging me to come on that junior high retreat to change a 20-year-old's life forever. You see, I went on that junior high retreat, and the speaker that weekend shared a message asking us if we were spiritually dead, spiritually disguised, or spiritually dangerous. He used the story of Lazarus coming back from the dead. He said, some of us are spiritually dead. We're in the grave. Others of us are spiritually disguised. We come out of the grave, but we still got the grave clothes on. But then he said, Lazarus, when he took off the grave clothes and people saw him resurrected, he became spiritually dangerous. And as I thought about my life that weekend, I realized if I'm not spiritually dead, I'm definitely spiritually disguised. And, and I want to be somebody who's spiritually dangerous for the Lord. And I recommitted my life to Jesus that weekend. I recommitted my life to going into the ministry, and it altered the course of my life forever. All because of my friend Ryan inviting me on a junior high retreat when we were 20 years old. But you know something, friends? There were other people that God used to do that miracle in my life that weekend as well. I think of the church bus driver who drove us and a group of 100 kids up to the camp that we were at. I think of the volunteer youth leaders who had been planning that retreat for months in advance. I think of the audiovisual guys who had set up the chapel and the speakers and the PowerPoint and the video equipment to project the message that weekend for me to hear it. And I think of the junior high youth speaker who gave those messages that weekend. See, friends, the way I see it, there were at least a dozen people serving at that junior high retreat in 1996 who were used by God to alter the course of my life forever. And because of their faithfulness, 20 years later, Lakes Free Church has their new senior pastor. You see, the miracle was in the means. Don't ever take the means for granted. There's no such thing as a routine, mundane, or insignificant calling when you're serving the Lord. Your service matters in God's sovereign plan. And friends, don't ever buy the lie that you're just a volunteer. I'm just a building and grounds guy. I'm just a greeter. I'm just a Sunday school teacher. I'm just an audiovisual guy, tech guy. Friends, don't ever buy the lie that you're just a. There are no just a people in God's kingdom. There are no just a people in this church. You're not just a building and grounds guy. You're the guy who plowed the parking lot so that 600 people could come this morning and hear a bunch of kids sing the praises of Jesus and hear the hope of the gospel. You're not just a greeter. You're the greeter that welcomed that single mom and her kids that Sunday morning when that mom was at the end of her rope and she had lost hope wondering if she would ever find a place that would welcome her and embrace her. And you're not just a Sunday school teacher. You're the guy who welcomed my son and showed him the love of Jesus and helped him enjoy coming to church. And you're not just a tech guy running PowerPoint, Charlie. 
You're the guy who put that slide on the screen with the verses of scripture that changed that alcoholic's life and put him on a new trajectory. Friends, there are no just a people in God's kingdom. Our service matters. And Jesus calls each of us to join his mission and he equips us and he empowers each of us to make an impact. We just have to be faithful. And so I ask you this morning, how about it? Have you joined God's mission? Friends, God might be calling you even this morning to step out in faith, to serve in obedience. You might be the means for somebody else's miracle. What an incredible privilege that is. Thirdly, this morning, when gods are all, the giants fall. When gods are all, the giants fall. 1 Samuel 17 has the famous story of David and Goliath. I'm not going to read the whole story for you because of time this morning. But if you recall the story, the army of Israel was camped on one side of the valley of Elah. The Philistines were camped out on the other side. And for 40 days, this giant from the Philistines named Goliath came out and talked trash, taunting the God of Israel. He said, if your God's so tough, why don't you send a man out here and fight me? And then we'll see whose God is really in charge. And 1 Samuel 17 says that for 40 days he came out talking trash and the entire army of Israel, if you read the text, it says they were dismayed and terrified because of this one giant. And yet this junior high shepherd boy comes along one day. He comes to bring food to his brothers fighting for the army of Israel and he hears Goliath taunting Israel out in the middle of the valley and David turns around to the commander of the army and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine talking trash about our God? Why aren't we doing something about this? His brothers are like, David, shh, quiet, man. Get out of here. What are you doing? Go back to those little sheep you were watching. But David says, no, I'll go out and fight the giant. You can't fight the giant. You're just a little boy. What does David say? No, I, I've been a shepherd for all my years. He says, one time a lion came and tried to steal a sheep from my flock. God helped me go out and chase that lion, and I killed that lion with my bare hands. Another time a bear came and tried to steal some of our sheep, and God helped me fight that bear, and I killed that bear. And David said, look, if the God who can deliver the lion and the bear into my hands... If he can do that, certainly he can deliver this Philistine in front of us today. And so the question I have to ask, friends, is what was the difference between the army of Israel and this little boy David? What was their difference? The difference here was that the army of Israel was gazing at the giant and glancing at God. David glanced at the giant and gazed at God. David's focus was on God. David's all was on God. See, David understood that there is no giant bigger than our great God. There is no challenge, there's no trial, there's no obstacle that is bigger than our great God. The army of Israel, they had totally forgotten all of the victories they had seen God win on their behalf. And their gaze was on the giant, the challenge, the obstacle in front of them, and they had totally glanced at God. They had taken their focus off of God. See, the perspective that we go into life with makes all the difference in the world. Where's your gaze today, friends? Are you gazing at the challenges in your life, the trials in your life, the giants in your life? Or is your gaze focused on the God who is bigger and greater than any giant that we could ever face? And just like David, what past victories of God might you recall to inspire you as you face down 
your present giants. You know, when you think about going in faith, you think about that neighbor next door, oh, Jason, there's no way he would ever become a believer. That guy is so pagan, he's so lost. Friend, are you gazing at God or are you gazing at the giant? Well, Jason, I, I know I'm called to live out my faith and I, I feel a, 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 a longing to share my faith with my coworkers, but, but I'm at, Jason, if I do that, I might get in trouble. I might lose my job. Friends, where's your gaze? Are you gazing at the giant or are you gazing at God? Well, Jason, you know, my family, they're, they're just so lost. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Every time I bring up the Bible, I just get shunned and laughed at. Friend, where is your gaze? Are you gazing at God or gazing at the giant? See, God wants to use you to make an impact for the kingdom in this world. Don't let your giants defeat you. Don't miss out on the miraculous. Keep your gaze on God, glance at your Goliaths, and then go in faith, and I promise you will see God do miraculous things because there is no giant bigger than our great God. And so, so here's my challenge to us, Lakes Free. God is calling us to be a church that goes in faith. And, and, and are there giants out there for us to conquer? Absolutely. But you know what? There is no giant bigger than our great God. And so I want to challenge you. We have seen God do miraculous things at Lakes Free for 32 years. But I believe that the best is yet to come for us here at Lakes Free. I believe that there are giants out there still to be slain. I believe that there are lost people out there still to be won to Christ. I believe that there are hopeless people still to be brought into the new life that is found in Jesus Christ. And I want to implore you, friends, to join me on this mission. There is no reason why we can't continue to be a church alive that is grounded in truth, growing in faith, growing in grace, going in faith, a church that is live and thriving and vibrant. And I want to invite you to join me on this mission as we hold on to these three priorities. And we're going to see God do miraculous things here, friends. I can promise you. How do I know that? Because that's just who God is. That's what he does. He takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things. He does miracles through our seemingly routine and ordinary means. He topples giants through the faithful obedience of his people. What a great thing that is. What a hope we have. What an exciting future we have to look forward to. I want to pray this morning. I want to invite God to do his miraculous work here in our lives. And I want to pray that all of us would take up this commission, this calling to go out and serve as his ambassadors. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these powerful truths that we've looked at this morning. And I pray, God, that they have inspired my friends today as much as they've inspired me this week as I've been thinking about them. And Jesus, I, I want this church, and I know you desire that this church continue to be a living, vibrant, thriving church, growing in faith, a church rooted in the truth of your word, a, a, true, a church that is growing in, like, in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that you would continue to do miraculous things in each of our lives and through our ministries here at Lakes Free. God, we thank you for the 32 years of faithfulness two lakes free that you've given us. And we pray, Jesus, that you would give us 32 more and even beyond. But God, instill deep within us a passion and a heartbeat, Lord. Ingrain with us your spiritual DNA of prioritizing the advancement of the gospel. May we never lose focus, Lord, on what you have called us to be, a church going in faith. And we pray, Jesus, that you would give us the grace 
to follow you faithfully each and every day. Thank you so much for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I leave you with these words from the book of Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Hope to see you guys next week at Christmas Eve.